welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody, what's up? Knock On Podcast number, you know I don't know it. But uh, it's going to be a cool podcast because it is officially March. So has turkey season opened anywhere? Coming up, uh, Florida. Like, oh, um, that's right. 18 days. I always forget about Florida. Yeah. I've, I've kind of been a, um, a Nebraska opener, mm-hmm. which is kind of in the same time. I've shot turkeys in the snow in Nebraska before. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Of course, I tell you to put your phone in airplane mode, and then I don't. That's that's awesome. Well, dude, I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah. Because, uh, so you sent, I guess just to backtrack a little bit, um, occasionally I get cool stuff just randomly sent in to HQ, like that, you know, Ron Burgundy canvas behind you there. <laughs> that's um, awesome. Yeah, that was an awesome gift sent to me and now he is pretty much placed in my office to where anyone who walks down the hall i intentionally always leave my door open (laughs) so when you walk by and kind of look in you just get this ron burgundy smirk it always take it even takes me by surprise i forget he's in here a lot this is the first podcast from my office dude you came here on a very unusual uh Week because we're in the process of um, multiple construction phases, so um, we had to seek refuge in my office here for for a place to podcast. So, um, but anyway, you sent me this really cool freaking. It was a wood crate that said bourbon barrel on it which instantly had me thinking i needed you know a big whiskey ball of ice in my yeti you know but no it was a freaking turkey call with the dia de arco skull on there which was pretty cool and it was the first time i'd really seen your brand and it was just such a cool niche idea that i had to you know reach out and say thank you and then just say dude we gotta i want to do a limited run of these for the knock on nation and then kind of put my spin on what i gosh that's in airplane mode for the record um but uh i wanted to kind of put my spin on what you offer because you had multiple things to choose from Mm -hmm. and so there was certain things that i like to play on a turkey call and i think we brought that to market but tell us how like tell us how this whole thing came to be dude so um i grew up in kentucky and obviously kentucky's a synonymous state with turkey hunting you <laughs> yes. know what i mean a lot of rednecks and hillbillies down there chasing and whiskey those, yes. and whiskey and bourbon uh well bourbon not whiskey but um so i loved a turkey hunt um a uh, late friend of mine, Todd Pregnitz, he kind of got me into archery, you know, bow hunting turkeys. And so I started doing that a few years ago. And after Todd and I sold Wicked, I kind of had this urge to like do another product. Like mm-hmm. I like developing products. I like product launches and stuff. 
And so um, it started out with just a, a joke amongst a couple of my buddies. I said, you know, you, if you have the right ingredients to the marketing and you have a background story, a backstory to it, and you put all that together, you can launch a product in even the busiest and most saturated categories. Yeah. And so somebody says, how about turkey calls? I'm like, damn you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you had to pick something that is fairly saturated. Uh, yeah. So how does a guy start a company in turkey calls and compete with the $19 turkey calls that are plastic and stuff like that? Right. Yeah. So I thought, you know, it's gotta be something cool. Mm -hmm. Um, so going off of Kentucky and, and brainstorming, I thought, well, turkeys prefer to roost in, in white oaks. Mm -hmm. Bourbon barrels are actually made from white oaks. Nice. And I went, all right, there's a little bit of a nexus there, you know, that I can tie <laughs> that together. And then the idea, I, I shot a bird in Kentucky, and during my eight-hour drive back to Iowa, I basically completely storyboarded and wrote my whole business plan in eight hours on my voice recorder on my phone. Nice. And I got home, my wife's like, hey, how'd the hunt go? And I'm like, time out, can't talk, got to get to the <laughs> office. And immediately it started. Um you know, doing the wax stamp, you know, on the striker, kind yeah. of that play off of makers. Yeah. And um, that's that's where it came about. And then also partnering up with NWTF was really important to me. So uh, $5 from every call goes straight back to NWTF and yep. uh, an organization called the White Oak Initiative, which is a team of biologists, way more intelligent than I am. My degree is actually in horticulture, but they're still way more intelligent than I am. But it's for the reforestation of White Oaks. And oh, cool. So through through just natural attrition that's going on with our timber and furniture making and stuff like that we're losing our white oaks mm -hmm. and they've projected that if we don't do something now in 25 years we're going to have a huge white oak shortage um so their organization basically goes for the reforestation of white oaks so that's cool my turkeys like to roost in walnut trees walnuts yeah <laughs> i mean yeah but uh, i don't know how much would a, a walnut bourbon barrel cost that would be six hundred dollar barrel. Six hundred dollars <laughs> mahogany. Yeah, start getting into some of those other woods. Yeah, that would be a ridiculous bourbon barrel. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, were you, a, like a passionate turkey nerd? Um. I wouldn't. Say I call you that just yeah. because, like, <laughs> I was in Utah last week um, with my buddy Caleb Copeland, uh -huh. uh, who I do a lot of media projects with, and we were. We were actually doing a lot of tracking for mountain lions and stuff and filming some content in between. Mm -hmm. And I look over at him one time and he was just kind of in La La Land and he's just like, I think he was looking at a sizzle reel that they had, they were producing and he had to do like an edit on. And I just go, what's your deal? And he's like, I just can't wait to shoot one of those things in the face. <laughs> and he said it like, you know, it, yeah. I kind of got creepy. Like, do, do I, do you need <laughs> right. some alone time right now? Yeah. But the truth is there's people when it comes to turkeys, uh -huh. you know, oh, there's some they, turkey nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think there's a, a like, there's a, a certain nucleus of turkey hunters, mm -hmm. which in a way is very similar to the, to a nucleus of sheep hunters. Yep. And the same nucleus of waterfowl hunters. 100%. But I don't think whitetail or big game hunters, like, go that... Extreme. There's people that are hardcore whitetail hunters, yeah. but they're also not, like, weird. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think uh, the more you go down south, like Georgia, Alabama, 
Tennessee um, turkey hunting is more prominent. Oh yeah, uh, over the whitetail side of things, we're mm-hmm. very blessed. You know where we live, that uh, whitetails are pretty superior. You know what I mean, species to hunt here. But yeah, it's I love I love turkey hunting. I enjoy it. Um, I'll be honest. When I first got into turkey hunting, it was more of a, something to pass the time until we got back into the whitetail season. Yeah, amen. planning plots and, and looking for sheds. But in the midst of all that, I started getting into it more and more and more. So last year was a perfect opportunity because I launched the company in November of 19. And the reason for that was to try to capitalize on some Christmas sales. Yep. Um, because I knew it would have a novelty pitch to it, too, mm-hmm. because of the bourbon thing. Yep. Um, so I wanted to get some, get, you know, get the Christmas sale season. But it also got me to get through the growing pains before I got into the first real turkey season and work out the kinks of shipping, logistics, and, and the assembly process um, and try to build somewhat of a brand. So last year, I thought the best way to do this, I'm a freelance photographer. I create content, you know, video content. So I'm going to try to do a grand slam with my turkey calls. One, I need the content. Yeah. Plus, I can prove the calls. Um, so I go to Florida last year. I shoot my Osceola, second day of the hunt. I'm like, I'm off, off to a good start. One out of four, right? Yeah. And then COVID hits. And oh, yeah. states start canceling, you know, <laughs> Kansas, Nebraska, Kentucky. And I'm like, oh, man. And my so my wife tells me, she goes, look, just call it like it is what it is, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, no, if there's a will, there's a way. So I went to Texas, shot my Rio the first day. I go to the Black Hills, South Dakota. I shoot my Miriams the first day. Then I come back to Iowa for the homecoming yeah. and shoot my Eastern the first day back. So completed a single season archery grand slam last year during COVID yeah. uh, with my calls. So I'm like, okay, I can legitimately say my calls work well because they called in all four of these times yeah. that I shot. So, and actually yesterday um, I got my certificates from NWTF. And unless the lady at NWTF is incorrect, she told me I was the only person to single season archery Grand Slam last year. Oh, dang. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yes. I hope she didn't lie to me because I'm going to ride that one out, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Highly possible. So did you ever like go deep down the rabbit hole of calls and different types of materials and all that stuff prior to then? Uh, No, no. During the prototyping stage of the wood, because, you know, I'm using, we all know that white oak is a good sturdy wood, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But now I'm using a wood that has been holding bourbon for five, seven, 12 years. Yep. I have forever changed the porosity and the density of this wood. So there was some education on how long would it take to dry out? Is there ways that I could expedite that? Where was I getting the lids from? How long do I need to store them? Yeah. I threw, I threw pots in, um, in actually a, a food dehydrator mm-hmm. to try to speed up the dry time. I yeah. tried a lot of different methods and then also pot design itself. Yeah. I'm not a, you know, audio engineer. If yeah. That's a thing. But, um, so it was just my own ears trial mm-hmm. and error. I knew what sounds I wanted to make and I was kind of going for that raspy, sound yeah and my thing was uh like we people talk about whitetails if a if a deer smelling the same deer pee or he's hearing the same grunt or can he get educated and i thought well what if i have a little bit different sound yeah and in, and i think that by having that white oak that's been holding an alcohol-based solvent if mm-hmm. you want to call it 
it, it is forever changed that wood and this is unique this is a very unique sound and it can't be replicated so to speak i'm curious to play different ones <laughs> to see how much that would change because obviously yep. all of your barrels aren't from the exact same batch correct so you're gonna have i think the one call i had i'm trying to think i had a knob creek the okay. one that you sent me yep. so you Which have... that was a special one okay yeah so if you look at a barrel lid only about eight percent of a barrel head has branding on it okay um so when i started doing the calls i was just punching those branded sections yeah and i was like man i'm i'm wasting a lot of barrel heads <laughs> you know like there's got to be a, a something i can do with these others I'm yeah like, okay i'm gonna do custom now you your first call that was a custom 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 one oh, okay. piece. nobody gets branded and engraved <laughs> on, a, on a pot that was special for you i get asked a lot um and and I went down that rabbit hole too of am I going to offer the basil edition? Yeah, basil's pretty hard to get a hold of. Yeah, um, in a, in a lid. So, yeah, I mean we we play with the different things. But Did you do any Templeton ones for here in Iowa? You know, Templeton actually reached out to do for me to do some uh, content creation, but I haven't ever followed up. I can't I can't remember who it was. Yeah, it's about a year ago. Yeah, I went on a I went on a very memorable uh, tour to Templeton with my um with sharon's mom's husband uh-huh. brian and then a couple of my other friends we went out and um did a tour which was which was cool but fairly stock mm-hmm. until um they kind of uh bo- the keith and his brother were both hunters and then one of them ended up like recognizing me from tv mm-hmm. and then we started talking and then next thing you know like you know they can't they can sample right but they can't like serve um as long as the business is open so they pretty much told everyone we're closing at three o'clock or whenever it was and close the doors and flip the sign to close so that we could get after it and it was um it was pretty dang pretty memorable i was the driver so i was I got to spectate a lot of what had happened, but right. yeah, I think um, Templeton put the sneak attack on <laughs> multiple people <laughs> in my vehicle. That's funny. <laughs> but um, yeah, they did some really cool things with, um, they, I know that for some chefs here in Iowa, they actually use the mash mm-hmm. for only feeding to like select hogs, um, you know, hogs that might go to auction at our state fair or something. Yep. Um, and just have some, you know, really unique flavors based on like feeding them the mash or stuff. But yeah, it'd be cool in certain, you know, certain areas. Obviously, if you mm-hmm. came here, it'd be cool to have some that were Templeton Rye Tops, you know, at the Iowa Deer Classic or something. Could be yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I've um, I've explored the idea of reaching out to, you know, being, I grew up in central Kentucky, and you have all of the Knob Creek, and you have makers, they have, have awesome gift shops. I yeah. Mean, it's amazing, the gift shops. And so if anybody ever gets to central Kentucky and wants to do the bourbon tours, I highly encourage it. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a ton of fun, and you get to sample a lot of different from bourbons but partnering up with some of those gift shops and offering just their lids so when you turn it upside down you read wild turkey or makers of course they would have to supply the heads yeah you know stuff like that so i'm in the process of i've actually got a couple of meetings set up with a couple down there now um 
this uh this summer yeah that'd be cool so yeah we'll see how it goes but it and that's the long age-old debate bourbon versus whiskey 51 percent corn versus not and well i have a saying most people use it for deer hunting yeah which i don't uh but i do use it for my alcoholic pleasures sure brown it's down yeah there you go <laughs> yeah i'm right there with you um yeah we can we can debate yeah you know which is better yeah uh tomorrow yeah for right now if it's brown let's get it down exactly no it's and i've never i don't think i've ever had bad whiskey per se or bad bourbon i'll try it all i like some of the darker tequilas um i like See, that's one i've never gotten into tequila a whole lot Dang. i did the patron get the ice right for a little ones. while i thought it might uh step up my street there's, cred there's better know. than patron if it's on ice uh-huh. for sure um but if you ever do anything with andy stump believe me you'll go on a tequila tour yeah. and he's a big tequila uh, guy yeah well yeah especially with new friends he has concoctions that roll out that you know he normally puts people to sleep with <laughs> hey i'm game to try a tequila but, tequila call yeah <laughs> Ooh, that'd be good um but then like coffee brown mm-hmm. i'm totally into that yep and then yeah whiskeys bourbons well, all good and i'm i just gave you one i'm trying this black rifle espresso mocha right now and it is delicious it is i haven't had one of these yet. yeah they're good. pretty good those things um those things went like hot cakes at the tack events mm-hmm. because everybody is literally on the verge of dehydration coming off that mountain and when those things are sitting in a bunch of big yeti tubs on ice (laughs) they did we all need more caffeine when we're (laughs) dehydrated (laughs) yeah exactly yeah exactly um there's actually seven grams of protein in here too yep that's cool well it's got that cream in there it's got that mocha cream so that's probably where you're getting the protein yeah i think um this is a really it's a really unique like like you said a business model i just mm-hmm. thought it was super cool um when you first sent me that and we did this endeavor i didn't realize that you had um done some stuff with uh sam Sohol, mm-hmm. which is you know close friend of sharon and i we've done some hunts together um, yep. when he was doing a lot of freelancing for yeti yep. but uh it's really cool to see people in the archery industry that just come up with something neat you know your hat says work Work more more hours hours. yeah um which is so cool because those are the always the type of people that i like to you know i like to represent or kickstart if i can you know if i can in any way um you can see there's like boxes on my desk today just people sending things to get my opinion on and there's a lot that isn't good you know but occasionally there's one where you open it up and you're like okay that's a that's a cool yeah yeah, because i love the i love the crate right i Uh liked the crate when i opened it up and then i could see the call was made out of you know whiskey barrel yeah um but then like like you said just this the wax on top of the striker yeah um it just you know it it told a whole story and we've kind of we've on the knock on ones we went a little bit further Mm -hmm. um you know, I personally like the sound of glass when glass is in a perfect condition. You and know, that's the tricky part. Yeah, it just yeah. it sounds good. Um, if your striker's perfect, if the glass is perfect, if if you 
God forbid, didn't walk past one piece of switchgrass that had dew on it yep. that dropped in the center of that sucker um, on your way out, you know, then you're good. But yep. I've always been, you know, a slate person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I haven't been a glass person. So it was pretty cool to talk with you about, you know, what you had for that. And I think yep. I think what we're bringing is pretty dang cool. Comes well, in a really neat tin. The logo on the top's awesome. Yeah. Well, and that's just it, like, too. So yours is the first that I've ever done with that engraving on that striking surface. Really? I've never offered that engraving uh, on that on that material. So um, it was slated to happen at some point. Yeah. And so it was a great opportunity to kind of kick it off with you. And then also, you know, you're getting to, you know, your audience is getting to be the first person with one of those as well. So makes me wonder how many people use them and abuse them, which I've had some, uh, 50, 50 is what I hear. <laughs> that's yeah. probably pretty accurate. Yeah. I had a, a good friend of mine, um, Jason, who was down in Indiana and, um, has, d- um, double seven eleven. Uh, turkey calls, which was, mm-hmm. I think it was the address on his fence that went into oh, his turkey cool. property, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, he made me some awesome calls for, you know, probably last 10 years. He's made me some really cool calls. And I just, I love that it was, you know, just a hard working dude, you know, that he worked for Cummings. And, you know, I just loved, I just love people that, you know, work more hours, put in, you know, sweat. A lot of the, a lot of the knives, you know, I love knives. So a lot of the knives that I've, that I get are all guys that are just putting in freaking Hand blood, sweat and, and tears. Yeah. To making really cool knives. Um, or cutting boards is my other thing. You oh, know, yeah. there's, I don't really go too deep on, I don't know, quote unquote collectibles. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordans are one knives are another cutting boards are another. And then occasionally there's things that like come in under the radar, like, you know, like these that were just super, super cool. So did you start out bow hunting then or no? Um, like a lot of, you know, a lot of hunters, I started out gun hunting in Kentucky and, um, Kentucky's a, you know, big rifle state. And that rut rifle season <laughs> falls in oh, line man. every year, um, which I learned to eventually hate that, you know, yeah. that, that season fell that way. But I started out gun hunting and I remember, um, I want to say 2007 was the year I shot a buck and a buddy of mine text me. And this was back in the early days of like, you know, one, one, one. T nine texting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, so he texted me, and it was like buck down question mark. You know, that was all you know, short text back <laughs> yeah. then, not the paragraphs we send now. But and I said, yeah. And he's like, awesome. I'm climbing down. I'll meet you over there. So he comes over, and he's like, he's jacked up. And he's like, dude, you just don't seem that jacked up. And I said, it's like a 150 yard shot. Like that deer didn't even know I existed on Earth. And yeah, it just it wasn't the same. So the next season. I went to the gun bow shop. We're hanging out. And he's like, you're getting fired up for deer season. I said, man, I just, I don't think it's something I'm going to do anymore. I just don't feel the challenge in rifle hunting. And he said, you need a bow. So um, I'm like, well, I have a toddler. 
you know, at home, like I come home with a bow and wife's going to lock the doors. And yeah. I was still a cop then on a cop salary. And I'm like, ah, that's the last thing I need to do is buy a bow. So we ended up working a deal out. He gave me a bow um, to shoot. And I went out and I'm like, this is the ticket. Like, this is the way to go. Archery <laughs> yeah. is the way to go. And then that first year, of course, like a lot of people, first year in a tree stand with a bow, I get busted every time I stood <laughs> up, every time I tried to draw. And, and I realized the game has now changed. Oh, yeah. You know? Now he knows I'm there. Um, yeah. And I wanted my rifle back, but stuck with it. And then that was it. You know, once I shot my first animal, you know, with a bow, I was like, that's it. I'm only going to do game hunting with a bow from here on out. And that's what I've done. Turkeys, antelope, bear, deer, everything. That's awesome. I, f- I feel like when I was a gun hunter and this was going way back, you know, I don't. And there was a there was honestly a few times where I went out for gun season in Wisconsin, even though I was kind of head deep into bow hunting. Sure. I had friends that I worked with that were really into the gun season more so than the bow season, even though we worked for a bow company. So I kind of honestly, because they were so excited about it, I got excited too. Um, but I didn't really stick with it, you know, but I don't feel like, I don't feel like when I hunted with a gun, I even like paid attention to its rut or like how those seasons fall. Cause there's yeah. as a bow hunter, I'm sitting there thinking like, I can't wait for freaking this date. Like things are ramping up, you know, in a week and a half, it's going to be, yep. I'm going to get as close as I can get and I'm going to see the deer I want to see. Mm-hmm. And then you realize like, damn it, the freaking gun season opens and yeah. some States, you can be out there as well but you got to be in orange and some you can't and you know i remember like when i lived up in wisconsin i hunted on the mississippi river out of a boat a lot and so um you know we i actually had like a 20 foot um 20 foot double deep john boat with like a mud buddy on the back and i would just burn through all these back little islands and stuff and find places to throw a little you know hang on and just hunt a lot of the like the islands and stuff but occasionally you'd be out there bow hunting and then all of a sudden hear like the banging going on and not realizing that minnesota which could be 50 (laughs) yards away from you yeah opened up gun seasoning two weeks or two and a half weeks before Wisconsin. And it was almost like, why are these guys getting to go out and they're, you know, doing drives and everything and just banging it hard when if it were me, I would, I would be out there just sitting still, not put doing pushes, just Mm -hmm. waiting for things to develop. You know, if you could keep it quiet, you would think you would have more success. I've always wondered that, but in some areas I know for sure in Wisconsin, because I was there a decade and it was true. And then now here in Iowa, it's definitely true, but people elect to do more pushes than they do sits, Mm -hmm. you know? down by me in, in southeast iowa uh during shotgun season i mean it's the wild wild west <laughs> it's bad and it's it's fences property lines it doesn't matter it's all free game yeah yeah it gets scary i mean yeah. it gets scary if you're out there trying to do normal everyday stuff sure. when chaos is breaking loose yeah um it, it's gotten it's definitely gotten better um around me you know, I think 
I think if you kind of patrol your area enough, people just realize like, that's not my thing. And I just tell them, Hey, you don't have to worry about me. Like I'm not going to be out pushing, trying to get my deer to run through and push your deer off. You know, I'm, yeah. I, I'm just going to sit still and be cool about it and just, you know, respect that. And Mm -hmm. you guys run around all you want, just not on me. You know what I mean? Now, how, how many years have you been in Iowa yourself? I think this is going to be the 10th. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You've been here twice as long as me. Um, I still run into a lot of the non-native. Oh yeah. Kind of headaches. Um, you know, in leaving a career of law enforcement behind, um, it was a little bit of a culture shock coming from where I came from in northern Kentucky, Cincinnati, and coming to a small town in Iowa um, where there's as many people in Cincinnati as there is a whole state, you know <laughs> what I mean, of Iowa. So it was a little bit of a culture shock in the, uh, initially, but back home it was just you respected other people's property. You didn't cross property lines. You never thought of it. Like, it just didn't happen. Yeah. And then coming here, you know down there to that area it was very much like well you're gonna have to be here about 20 years before you're considered like welcome local yeah and i'm like yeah it, it was it was kind of it was different you know i i always expected iowa to be more like pleasantville <laughs> <laughs> but if you're deer hunting it can get a little precarious at times yeah i just think you know i think there's still a lot of generations that hunt to where their fathers you know everybody knew each other and sure. everybody you know hunted land collectively yep. yep um you know which i get it i remember um i remember the first time i like showed up at this farm that i had permission to hunt um here in iowa a farmer pulled up and said you know are you going to be hunting here now and i said yes sir I, you know i've kind of leased this place and stuff and he just said, well, is it okay if all my boys hunt? And I just said, well, I mean, probably not because that's, you know, why I'm paying to lease it, you know, so yep. it just doesn't get the pressure. And I remember him saying, well, then you're not going to be hunting with us on our drives. And I was just like, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm okay, okay with that. But I think there was just a culture of like, you know, if you – if you were okay with them hunting yours, you just, you got into the big pool, you yeah. know, to where, mm-hmm. hey, we're ramsacking every freaking dirt road around here. Yeah, we're going to start at this corner, we're going to drive that section, then we're going to drive that section, then we're going to drive Old Man McGillicuddy's section, and, yep. you know, we're just going to keep going. This past shotgun season, um, I was actually on a photo shoot for a client in Oklahoma, and, you know, it's shotgun season, and as with a bow bow hunter i'm sitting out in iowa you know and um i get a phone call one of the bucks i was trying to kill this year got shot and some some instagram facebook fans uh, knew that i was out of town and they went to the landowner and got permission uh, to go to go hunt that i lease that i pay for mm-hmm. but it was one of those deals where it was like oh well he's not in town and he doesn't gun hunt so have at it and they ended up shooting this buck 72 yards from my tower blind that i moved into the cut corn specifically to hunt that deer late season yeah that's a bummer yeah and it happens i mean i you know there's in one degree i get it i should have bought more land or i should own more land or something yeah but um and and you know on one side of it i like seeing the youth getting into hunting 
um, I hate that it was my ground <laughs> yeah, that they did yeah. it on, but I like I do like to see future generations get into hunting. That's a really tough parallel, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, you want you want hunting to grow, and and it's cool that new people are coming in, but there also gets to be a point where you know I know for me, you know, I started out hunting on family's land one or two weekends a year, mm-hmm. and then struggle to find a couple places where you can hunt and honestly looking back they all everywhere i got permission as a teenager was just sucked you know Mm -hmm. the fact that i would hump goose decoys out there and hump tree stands out there and i think about like i've driven by them now in my later age and be like god i used to just sit i used to sit on that tree and stare at this freaking silo 50 yards away and just hoping praying (laughs) something would freaking come by and you know and going back and looking at places where i'd put out you know waterfowl spreads and just be like what were you thinking you just lay in the mud for just weeks on end you know hoping something would land there knowing that like you know it makes you wonder how many true like deer hunters or waterfowl hunters like drove by those illinois roads and just looked and like look at that kid yeah yeah. you know sitting right there and i'm just sitting up there trying not to move reading every freaking article i can read just you know got everything out you know grunt tubes horns drag lines freaking still in a terrible location sun in my face you know everything was wrong but you know I, i had to have those places and then you know eventually i got permission on a on a farm that was good and like and on and i was really fortunate to where i had a farmer that really liked me and gave me a couple breaks because if if he wasn't that kind of a person Mm -hmm. um like i would have been out of there and gone before i had ever shot like some of my better deer sure um because like you know one time i was deer hunting and a coyote came out and you know i decided to take this long bomb at this coyote and shot at it and then you know i missed it and the coyote ran off and then i sat there and next thing you know of course deer start coming in, into the field And then the buck that I was after comes into the field and starts coming right down this fence line to me and literally stops on a dime where my arrow was in the, like in that alfalfa, you could smell where I'd grab the fletchings and he stopped and like put his nose down. I'm assuming it's, he smelled the arrow, not the coyote. And then just boom, turned and gone. And I decided because there were so many deer out I kind of got down my tree quiet and I just kind of flashed my light a few times and got stuff to kind of scatter out of there. And I just backed straight out and I thought, okay, I'm going to come hunt in the morning and, you know, I'll grab, I'll get that arrow after my morning hunt. Well, I ended up getting called into work, so I didn't get out there in the morning, but I went out there on my lunch hour and I drove out there and as soon as I got there I could see all the alfalfa had been green chopped and I was like oh no and I kind of went out and I was looking around kind of for my arrow in where the you know where it was pretty much green chopped to the ground mm-hmm. 
And then the farmer came bombing out there on his tractor and, you know, had the back end of my arrow. And he (laughs) said, is this yours? And I said, yes, sir, that's mine. And he just said, is there a blade on the front of this arrow? And I said, yes, sir. And he's like, I hope one of my cows hasn't swallowed that, you know, and we freaking went and... I was just digging around all these troughs out in the cattle thing. And luckily I found the front of that arrow. Yeah. Wow. And that's a needle in a haystack. Exactly. (laughs) But like right there, I could have been, honestly, I could have been kicked off that property. Yeah. That's where I shot, you know, my first Pope and young deer and, and honestly started to, that's where I, that place is where I started filming my own hunts, you know, 20 years ago or however long it's been. But I could have easily been kicked off there. And then and then there there was um the other thing I did one time was I went out there and I had to move a tree stand and, and honestly didn't go up and just ask him if I can drive out there and, and do a tree stand. I didn't realize that he had just no till drilled this whole field, so I just kinda go out there and of course you know overpack where he had you know just drilled and you know i didn't know anything about farming and didn't pay attention i just you know thought it'd be cool to drive my freaking truck across this guy's place (laughs) and and so you know honestly i think if i wasn't so young he probably would have just said you know hey you're abusing this get the hell out of here right right and and it was it was like honest innocent mistakes sure you weren't trying to wreck anything do donuts or nothing but if someone our age got into bow hunting for the first time yeah. and I remember um for some reason I had to get a oh I went to a I went to the Iowa bow hunting uh class because um my friend from France Antoine he wanted to come hunt he might have been hunting Nebraska with me for turkeys or something but he needed a mm-hmm. a bow hunter's education card so we signed him up for a class and we went to this class which is just on the outskirts of Des Moines yeah and so a lot of the people in this class were people that were getting um urban buck tags you know where oh, they right. you know where yep. you kind of had to do the earn a buck thing but we did this like hunter safety course and I remember the shop that was hosting it, um, we kind of came in, he introduced the game warden and the game warden, um, who's actually a really close friend of mine now, he came in and, and did a really good part about, you know, the hunting laws and, and everything that goes into that. And then he ended up leaving and uh, the shop owner kind of just, looked around and he's like all right well the warden's gone and he said well you know listen guys main thing is don't be dicks like don't steal people's tree stands don't steal their cameras and he said you know just just don't be dicks and have fun and then he just gave everybody the receipt yeah like an hour and a half in like that was it (laughs) and so there was a couple people that genuinely were going like how do you hunt you know I just didn't know like how if i sh- if i shoot where would i shoot it's like where do i aim yeah. or you know he's like how do you track blood you know if i shoot something do i have to take the guts out yeah and i was thinking like man for me it kind of seemed cool at first that i 
because I was like had already been to several of yeah. these bow hunters education classes. But I thought honestly, that was a big disservice it to is. people that yeah. had never bow hunted before and needed to know some of these key fundamentals. Yep. And some of those, um, I wouldn't call them ethics. It's just manners. You know, yeah. there's like bow hunting mannerisms to mm-hmm. where at some point there, you know, it would be cool to have some type of a protocol book that just talked about some of the basic manners of, Hey, you're a hunter. Now Mm -hmm. here's some of the things that you do. You know, if you're going on a guided hunt, you should, you know, tip the guide and let, you know, like money. Yeah. You you know, are you going to, you know, if someone helps you pack out a freaking elk, you should tip them, you know, if you shoot something, you know, help them get it out of there type thing, you know, um, just, don't launch arrows in people's fields and not go look for them. You know, don't drive across people's fields. Yeah. People that drive out there and start fires. I mean, I've seen that happen too. You know, guys wanting to go out and drop their blinds out for an antelope sit and not realize like a lot of those farmers. Yeah. A lot of those farmers have those old vehicles just because they're not going to start a fire out there. You know what I mean? I, I think, um, well, when I first moved here, I reached out to my local DNR down by me, and um, I told him I wanted to become a hunter safety instructor. Uh-huh. And he's like, "You do know that this like doesn't pay very well <laughs> at all." And I said, "No, I like I've been given the opportunity that I get to make a living in this outdoor space, so this is one thing like I want to do at least to give back." Yeah. And uh, what is it they always say? Like, if you don't like the way something something's done, you can you know try to fix it, make it better yeah. do it yourself. Right? Yeah. So. I remember when I went through hunter safety, you know, I had these old grizzly, like 80 year old men and they didn't friggin' care. <laughs> They're just yeah. like, shoot them boys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Shoot them, have fun. Just don't shoot each other. Everybody passes. And, um, so I, I specifically teach the, the bow hunter section mm-hmm. of, the, of the class. And then I also teach the ethics portion and the ethics portion and hunter. And you know, I wear a harness the entire time I'm teaching the class to let everybody know I can wear this thing for eight hours. Yep. It's okay. Yeah. You know, you, you, it's, it's, it's all right. But I always tell everybody, you know, taking it one step further with being ethical and being nice to people and being respectful to other hunters is also, you know, when it comes to the promotional side, yeah. what, what we put out there on social media now is like, look, never apologize for being a hunter. Just don't give the antis any ammunition. Yeah. Clean up the deer, be respectful yeah. to the animal. Don't shove objects in the animal's mouth and, you know, stuff like yeah. that. Just, you know, be respectful, do it in good taste. Now, if you and your buddies want to chug a beer over celebration, I, by all means, do yeah. do whatever. But you don't have to put it out there to the yeah. whole world. Yeah. Um, and actually, uh, the problem that I had this past fall was actually one of my students from three years ago. <laughs> really? He must have fell asleep in the ethics portion. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say. There's there's this, um, I think that's the downside to social media is there's a continued, I don't know, there's a continued like thirst for people to push stay, the envelope yeah, a little to, bit. Yeah, because there's, there's just competition, right? There's a yeah. lot of people shooting a lot of awesome stuff every day. Yep. And you're not just, it's not like back in the day where 
you know, I'll use like when I worked at Matthews, you know, mm-hmm. late nineties, if someone pulled into the Matthews parking lot with a cool 120 or 130 inch buck or occasionally a 150 inch buck. Sure. There'd be, you know, 10 people that would go out there and be like, dang, that's a cool buck. Yeah. And that would kind of be it other yeah. than like word of mouth. Like, Hey, Billy shot a freaking big old 10 pointer last week. And you kind of, yep. and if he had a picture in his pocket, like you might get to see it again. Or if he carried the rack around a little bit, mm-hmm. but now, I mean, you know, if if I shoot something, three hundred thousand people shoot it, and if those three hundred thousand people follow two hundred other, you know, yep. hunters that are having success, it gets to the point where you want to put something on the ground, and I think that temptation is what's really getting people in trouble right now. Getting is, horn hungry. And, yeah, mm-hmm. they're just they're wanting they're wanting to to have that attention, and they're just not dotting their I's and crossing their T's, you know, and, and the truth of the matter is, especially now, um, you honestly can't make the same mistake as like when I was a teenager, I definitely did stuff, you know, incorrectly. Oh yeah. I, I, there's no way I read every regulation front to back, you know, And, and a lot of times, if you did it and a warden came up to you and said like, Hey, your tag is supposed to be signed, you know, prior to you being out here hunting, he'd just be like, sign your tag. But you know, when you put it out there in front of a lot of people, well, unfortunately, you know, if you make a mistake, it's, it's not as forgivable when it's a hundred percent public, but I think people definitely, are getting complacent and one of the things that i wish we did better as a community is just especially now because there's so many really cool places allowing people to like applying for tags for people in other states Mm -hmm. you know i had a buddy that drew like four different non-resident tags and just went honestly i had uh, a buddy of mine that was going to go elk hunting in a state got a tag kind of waited you know until he had an opening at work to get out there went out there and was kind of out there going around and then kind of someone said you know hey what are you you know you out here hunting deer no i'm hunting elk oh well closed last week uh oh (laughs) yeah 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 i mean imagine that you know and then it's like oh well i'm gonna try to see if i can go get a deer tag and then do something you know what i mean salvage the drive so yeah i think we really have to take it upon ourselves to if you're applying for stuff in multiple areas it's worth um it's worth contacting those wardens in those other states just to just ask a few questions what i've been doing is um calling ahead of time Mm -hmm. and um you know find the corporate office headquarter number and see if they'll send you the reg book yeah and it may sit in the bathroom it's bathroom reading material a couple of weeks before you make the drive out there and that's helped a lot because shockingly or unshockingly, depending on how you look at it, every state is so different. Oh yeah, the t- where the t- where the tag goes. Oh yeah, even um, you know it varies state to state, and you know there's been times that you know you get so caught up 
and if we're doing our video content side of things and you're filming it and then you're like okay it used to never cross my mind now i'm like okay tell me when you're recording you're recording okay zoom in as i'm punching the tag i'm yeah. cutting the triangles out or whatever and yep. the, you know and i've had camera guys like what are you doing i'm like documentation yeah like trust me it's just worth it for me yeah. to show it that way nobody can say anything yeah um if i ever shoot anything big i always call like every honestly probably every deer i've shot here for four or five years mm -hmm. when i shoot a deer i call my warden to come get it that's cool yeah yeah i'm just like hey come get this thing with me no questions asked yeah because yeah. dude and i've i had a time um honestly it was several years ago i shot a, a really big net typical buck mm -hmm. and you know someone put in a call you know sure enough like a couple days later once it was public put in a call and and hey they were right they had a ton of pictures of this deer um and it was not close to me either this deer had traveled like five miles yep. and so they had tons of pictures up of this deer literally up until a few days before he, when he showed up at my place he showed up and i put a stand there like he showed up one night at like five o'clock the next day I, I just happened to check cameras saw him like kept my tractor running there put that stand up and then the next night the wind was right i got in there and killed him so it was like yeah he just happened to you know whether he got bumped or whatever and he big moved bucks in will for, do that yeah he moved in for yeah. a day and and you know and i i striked but it was it was actually refreshing when you know the warden was able to say listen i know where this deer was shot mm -hmm. you know he calls me to get his deer out with him it was like okay this is you know that in itself just yep. like puts peace of mind puts a band or not a band-aid but it puts closure for everybody yeah you know yeah. it's no you're right i mean and, and it happens and again it's funny how deer hunting uh it's like we're, we're all on the same team until the until the season starts <laughs> and then everybody gets real territorial yeah you know over over their deer now you know, something we were talking about earlier, I brought this, I actually had a conversation with my friend Kurt the other night. We were talking about, um, with social media, yep. people are killing big deer and you're a competitive person. I'm a competitive person. We always want to push ourselves and do better than we can, uh, each year. And so let's say we're going after the most mature buck or the biggest buck, you know, now as you go through content creation and wildlife management, farms are getting bigger, tracts of land are getting bigger so we can manage more ground. So if John and you being John, if we're trying to manage more ground, we're, you know, securing more acreage, Yep. but we're also encouraging more hunters to join us in the mm. battle as well. And then you also have deforestation subdivisions highways we're losing some of our lands yeah. private lands are we working towards the middle of a failing battle here are we at some point are we going to be sharing trees or is hunting going to get to where only the millionaires have huge tracts of land to hunt and everybody else is on public or sharing a tree stand i think both i think you're going to have Billionaires that have amazing places to hunt. And I think you're going to have public ground that everybody's looking at each other, you know, just yeah. trying to get out and enjoy it. You know, I, um, 
listen, it's kind I of would, that double-edged sword. Yeah, listen, I, mean? I was cat hunting last week, and I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't hunted mountain lions in twenty years. Mm-hmm. And dude, twenty years ago, there was no one out there doing it. I saw four to five different local guys just out. I'm talking every morning at dark we would drive and go way back into a public land and you know get out and start hiking canyons looking for fresh tracks and by the time i would we would be packing up to get out of there there would already be one or two other rigs that were coming to do the exact same thing and then they kind of go out and you go to the next area and then you know the next area you might go up in there and up there's someone with dogs kind of they're in there already so then you got a leapfrog around another couple canyons i mean there was a lot of pressure honestly i mean to see i only hunted two days because i had i had work that i had to do and i couldn't believe how many different like cat chasing rigs i saw sure and so popular yeah and um you know in in utah during the first or second week um i was actually out hunting with a buddy of mine and i had a radio on and i didn't know it but the radio had there was like a setting that you switch to where it just goes into scan mode yep and the amount of people that I heard communicating, like two-man teams that were communicating on that Wasatch front was insane. Because, wow. you know, 20 years ago um, when I went there and hunted, there was a dozen or so like hardcore people that you would see. Sure. But now it's just like, you know, you go to a tack event out there and you go to like a public land rally um you know and you're gonna see four or five hundred people that want to hunt public land out there and i think i think as people get forced into these areas um i don't know i think culture as a whole is getting to the point where people you know there's a lot less big families too and so you know i just know that kids that grow up with other kids having to stay in their bedrooms like you know we were my wife and i had a conversation with another couple the other day and they grew up sharing rooms all the time so like Mm -hmm. sharing rooms or sharing toys or you know sleeping next to your brother or sister you just you learn to do things as like a family and you learn to share things whereas if you have a single kid that has never had you know they don't want to share anything it's you a know? good point so as families get smaller and a lot yeah. of families start becoming single kid family homes those kids are going to grow up also not really liking to share mm-hmm. which i think is a lot of the entitlement culture that you see you it's know a good observation and that's going to be problematic in 10 yeah. years in a public hunting environment you know in my opinion 100 percent. and the other thing is like going back you know when i had permission on that farm that i told you about there were two other guys that were older probably our age Mm -hmm. they did not 
like that the fact that that farmer gave me permission there. Yep. And honestly, if I hadn't have taken Brett Favre hunting on that place and that farmer get to meet him, like I probably would have never kept permission there. Right. Um, but I realized really quick, listen, I don't, I didn't like hunting this place with um, two other dudes to where if their truck was parked in front of that section of the farm when you got there, it meant, oh, crap, I got to go to this other stand, even though the even though the wind's not right. You know, I got to go to this other spot because this guy's here. And so the first piece of ground I ever bought was, I think, a three acre piece. And it was it was like landlocked and there was an easement about the size of a four-wheeler trail to go back into this three and a half acre piece Uh uh-huh it was a wet honestly it was a size it was smaller than what my yard is right now where people see me shooting my 3d targets and it was just a thicket that's all it was Mm -hmm. and so i just you know dug a hole put a water tank in there um had one tree stand i could only hunt it with you know a northwest wind and i kind of groomed a trail through it to where the deer would use that trail because it was a thick yeah it was a thicket and i kind of i trimmed that trail to where where it exited onto the road it was like going straight towards a piece of public ground that was in this like creek bed system so just it just gave deer an easy way out you know and so i hunted there and and you know shot a cool deer and had that that land for a couple years and then you know the person that had this double wide home right next to it offered they wanted to buy it and so they ended up offering me twice what i paid for it so i sold that and then I actually found a 10 acre piece, you know, luckily and bought that 10 acre piece. And then eventually, uh, you know, maybe when I was, I don't know, 26 or something, I bought a 40 acre piece. And then, and then I think honestly, after that 40 acre piece, when I sold that, I ended up coming down here to Iowa, you know, but you know, listen, I started out, you know, I rode a moped to work that I got off, you know, the classified. There wasn't Craigslist. I got out of a classified newspaper, you know, moped runs. Okay. $150. It had been crashed. Had like start, might not. It started, (laughs) the electric start didn't work. It kickstarted every time. It had like JB weld on the muffler, Uh like where, cause it had, it had been crashed into something. It had one rear view mirror and you know, one turn signal and the other lights worked, but you had to kickstart it. But I drove that sucker because I could I could drive to and from work on a gallon of gas. I lived like two miles from work. I could drive almost for the month on a gallon of gas to yeah. work and back. Yeah. And then my car was a freaking Pontiac mini station wagon that I was able to pay cash for. And it got, you know, pretty good gas mileage while most of my buddies all had cool trucks. Sure. I drove that for several years so that I could, you know, buy a three, three and a half acre piece of land and then buy a 10 and then buy a 40 and then, you know, and then just kind of kept going. So I don't personally have like, I'm proud to be a private landowner, Mm -hmm. but I also still actively seek 
cool hunting spots that aren't owned by me. Sure. And they're still out there, yep. you know, and, and some of the etiquette and work, you know, that you have to put in to maintain yep. those places. Um, you know, probably one or two of the bucks that I've shot in the last several years have actually come off my personal farm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, normally I let, you know, either a family member that draws a tag or Sharon, you know, kind of take the better claims. And then I bounce around, especially with CWD. There's been a lot of times where I've had to be 25 miles from where I would like to hunt because they're just all the deer were dead. Yeah. So I'm a big, I'm a big believer in private land. And I think if people want to, have less frustration in hunting you have to own yeah you know if if hunting is your thing then make some sacrifices and you know honestly i i didn't i don't think i went to a bar hardly at all between 1994 to 2005 i mean i didn't go out and didn't go out to eat much i didn't go drink i mean i fished i drove a moped i drove a mini station wagon and i shot every archery tournament i could i stayed in super dodgy hotels i drove a car for jerry carter so that he would buy my plane ticket and i slept on cots and a lot of people's you know hotel rooms at shoots yep and I rarely got a really good meal at those tournaments unless a sponsor took me out. You know, it was, it was, there was a lot of $7 Denny Grand Slams, you know, yep. when, when available, but it allowed me to, to buy different pieces of land to where I had some control on yep. how that hunting was. So I think, I think it, there's going to come a point where, you know, yeah, the rich, you know, but I also think there's an opportunity still for people to go out there and get permission to hunt, mm-hmm. be really good tenants and, yeah. and, and honestly good hardworking labor for the person that owns it yeah. and possibly put yourself in a position in line to where you might be able to buy it for a better price than the millionaire that comes in exactly that's just trying to turn and burn it yeah, you know I mean, fence repair goes a long way um you know one of the first farms i picked up i actually saw his cattle loose one day mm-hmm. and i was driving down the road and you know we all get in that mode where you're driving and and you know you got something else on your mind and i see these cows and i'm like damn that sucks and i'm like oh wait a second that's that farmer's cattle i'm like the smart thing to do would be to help this farmer out, yeah. you know, round up these cattle. Well, it turns out where the cattle belonged was the next farm, beautiful piece of ground. And so we get to talking and, and I said, Hey, is anybody, you know, anybody hunt your ground? Nope. I've never let anybody hunt. And he's like, but no one's ever asked. <laughs> oh, damn. And I went, well, <laughs> can I, hunt? hello, sir. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah, so that was one of the first properties that I got permission to hunt. That's awesome. Uh, when I first moved there. But, um, yeah, so I lucked into that one. And, hey, I mean, I'm, you know, much like yourself, 
you know, you, you pointed out like this hat that says work more hours. That was um, when I was a kid. Uh, the story behind that is I asked my dad, I was like 13, 14 years old and I was trying to save up money for my first car, you know? Mm -hmm. And I said, um, how do you make more money? And my dad goes, it's simple. You just got to work more hours. (laughs) And so it always stuck with me. And my dad recently passed away back in December. And, um, so it's just kind of always been like that motto for me, you know, that's, there's, there's no secrets. Yeah. Yeah. You can work smarter and you can come up with cool ideas, but at the end of the day, anything worth having, you got to work for it. Yeah. No one's going to give it to you. Yep. And I try to teach that to my kids. I'm like, if you learn nothing else from me in life, whatever you do, please just work hard at whatever you do. You know, don't yeah. be bashful about putting in the hard work. And again, that hard work, like you said, goes a long way. I mean, you made sacrifices and, and you make uh, you you drive you drive some beaters around and you skip some fancy dinners. <laughs> my wife hates me because that I refuse to go out to eat and drop money i think it's the biggest waste i've got we've got i disagree well we have three (laughs) giant freezers of bear meat and antelope meat and deer meat you know what i mean i was like babe we got free meat right here you know but no every once in a while she makes me take her out to eat but you know we we don't we definitely don't hit bars i don't spend money in bars unless you know again if a sponsor or a client wants to go out yeah they're buying drinks yeah, I like to fine dine. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. I just don't like paying for it. I'm a cheap ass. You know, yeah. I'd rather spend my money in hunting. Well, I will say when I went to Salt Lake, um, I ate at a place called Spencer's um, Steaks and Chops. And I'm not normally a dessert person. Like I'll normally, I will, if I, when I go out to eat, I normally order a lot anything that looks good i order a lot of stuff mm-hmm. um because i food is one of like my bugaboos like yeah. i mean i like to eat yeah, yeah. I, I and i don't like i honestly don't feel like i eat bad and i don't overdo it but when i go places where when i look on the menu i'm like god i want to <laughs> i want to know what that tastes like yeah you but i'm not going to eat it all but i also god i want to know what that is yeah um but there was we actually i think we we had like one starter in like three or four places Mm -hmm. and sharon and i kind of just normally if there's like that happy hour window we'll go to a place that we've never been just find one thing on the menu that looks cool have it then maybe bounce to another place and so we were doing that you're doing it like a food truck yeah oh Uh yeah so then we uh i was still hungry and this uh spencer's was at the hotel we were at so i i just said let's just pop in there and you know let's just share an entree yeah so we ordered uh tri-tips i think and we shared that and then i said i'm just still hungry and i mean i think some of it was just altitude it's super dry out there and i'd been up on the mountain the whole day for those tack training videos and i ended up ordering this dessert there was two any chocolate dessert for sharon is like pretty much a magnet she's got yeah (laughs) and it's not going to be bad but i'm not really a chocolate person um but there was this brown butter cake with a huckleberry cobbler and a vanilla bean ice cream a homemade vanilla bean ice cream and let me tell you it is the best dessert i've ever eaten in my life and i took two friends there the next night 
I'm like you for the dessert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I we ate normal, but yeah. I said make sure you save, save room. room. And neither one of them were like dessert junkies either. Uh-huh. And so they were kind of like, okay, he's really playing this up. And then you know they tasted it, and then they were you know, they were just like, holy cow, that is freaking good. So yeah, um, if you're in Salt Lake. Shout go out get, Go get that. It's totally worth it. Um, what's some quick, before we wrap this up, yep. what's some maintenance stuff for turkey calls? Um, like if, if you get a turkey call, especially if if you're one of the lucky ones to get this limited edition one that we yep. did together, um, what is kind of the things they need to know? Yeah. Um, so I would encourage everybody keep a little bit of a Scotch-Brite pad with them. You can pick them up at the grocery store. You can get a full piece for like a dollar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cut it up into like little one inch squares and it'll last you the rest of your natural life on earth. <laughs> um, keep at least one of those in your, in your pack. You're going to use that on, you can use that on the surface. Mm-hmm. You don't need to rough it up on the, on your style call. You won't need to rough it up really bad. Um, just create a little friction, extra friction for it. And then also for the tip of the striker. Yep. Um, I encourage everybody just try to keep, you know, your striker dry. Strikers do not sound good when they're wet. <laughs> um, so try to keep it dry. Shouldn't be too hard. But, um, and that's about it. You know, that's um, anybody that uses a lot of pot calls, um, I can tell a difference with high moisture days. If I go yeah. out right after it got done raining, you're mm-hmm. going to get a little bit of a different sound. Yeah. But um, like you mentioned earlier with the switchgrass and the dew, just oh, be yeah. careful of keeping stuff dry. Um, and that's about it. The Your Style Call is a lot more forgiving if it gets wet. It'll dry back out faster. Yeah. Uh, Crystal, I try to dummy down all my calls. Yeah. Crystal, a, when I'm it gets not... wet, it's done. You got to go through a full <laughs> sanding process. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Just wrap blows. it up and go back home. But other than that, you know, um, they're uh, practice with it. Please don't go out the very first day. Just practice with it. Get comfortable with it. Because every, you know, striking material plays a little different. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of a different, you know, learn the different pressure points and cadence of it. I can tell you that the sweet spot on my call is about one inch inside the rim. Yeah. Yep. That's a, that's a kind of an important thing. Yeah. That one that you sent me, just because of the, the logo that was on there, mm-hmm. I just tried to rough up kind of that yeah that Uh little edge where i wasn't like yeah and honestly just playing in that little one inch circle there about an inch in you know i think it was like five o'clock or something yep played good for me yep yep that's the sweet spot and um you know play with different pressures of the striker yeah on your style with the aluminum um it doesn't take as much pressure as what you would like on a on a slate sometimes Mm -hmm. um but yeah get you know get good with it try it out and send send john pictures of <laughs> flopping turkeys with uh, with your call so i'm excited i'm excited to see how everybody takes to it um i think it's going to kick off really good like you mentioned earlier the the box and the logo i'm super proud of it yeah i think it turned out super cool yeah um the greens uh, is, is an awesome touch and it's synonymous <laughs> with your brand yeah there so, has to be a drop of that somewhere. Yeah. You know, no, it's huge. I, I think it's awesome. And I, and I, and I appreciate, you know, having the opportunity to collaborate with you, you know, yeah. and your brand, um, our mutual friend, John Barklow yeah. is the one that kind of made that connection. Yep. And, um, it's funny, you know, speaking of Barklow, 
we all have little cliques and niches of people that we hang out with, but Barklow and I kind of have that um, guns and ammo kind of connection with our past careers. Yeah. So we always will end up being, there'll be like a bottle of bourbon and then Barklow and I are off to the side away from everybody else, you know, having our own private conversation. But I reached out and I said, Hey, I said, do you think Doug, you think Doug would like one of these? And he goes, Oh dude. <laughs> and he's like, you have to send one of these to Duds. He'll, he'll eat this thing up. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I'm surprised Barklow. I mean, he does do bourbon, but he is a tequila machine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like at a level that. I've never seen yeah, before. Yeah, I, I tapped out after like the third shot one night. I was like, that's it, man. This is all oh, you. Oh, man. I've seen them. I'll watch. Bottles in. Yeah. Well, cool, dude. Thanks so much. Where yeah, can people you. find you as well? Yeah. Um, on Instagram, it's kind of the my my big thing. Um, it's johnny.utah.hunt. Um, for me personally, uh, I do have my show Arrow Wild TV on Instagram. Bourbon Barrel Calls is a, is another outlet for me. So those are the three hot hot spots that you'll <laughs> find me um, between photos and hunts and uh, Damn, follow three along. Accounts. There's actually five total, but those are the top three. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you can you can work more hours with less Instagram accounts. I know, I know. That's what it. Well, that's when I told my wife. I said, "Hey, I'm going to kick off this work more hours brand." She goes, "Oh, that's a perfect idea with all your free time." You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just it honestly like if I list everything in life that I love to do, and hunting is obviously and photography's yeah. up there. Just work is yeah. actually one of them. It's yeah. a high, I like I enjoy work. Yeah. Yeah. For a lot of people, it's, you know, it's part of the stress relief. It's like, I, I have better end of days when I worked hard and I just go home and be like, Oh, I can't wait to turn it off. Like it just feels good where otherwise I'm like, man, I haven't done nothing today. So super personal question. When you sleep, is it total silence or do you have to have audio of something on? Well, I have a freaking CPAP. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it sounds like freaking Darth, Darth Vader, Vader in my in face. So I have a TV on. Yeah. Kay- the other night I woke up and I thought my CPAP machine had like had a bullet hole through it, but it was Caleb had a like somewhere. a, well, he had some type of a white noise app on his phone. Uh-huh. My good buddy, uh, Robbie Presley, always freaking totes around one of those big-ass square fans and has that sucker all the time. I don't, I mean, I don't, um, I don't personally, I'm not like the the average CPAP candidate, Mm -hmm. but um, I've got like, I can only breathe through about like 30% of my nose and I have like hardly any smell. Like, you know, like that's why gut and stuff for me, everyone's just like, Oh my God. I'm just like, what, what's the deal? Can't smell it. So, um, I just struggle with like airflow. So that really helps me not mouth breathe through the night and it just helps me get a little bit better sleep. But yeah, I'm, I need to look into one of those. I really should. The mini is the way to go. I've got several and, and I've never really got comfortable with one, but Mm -hmm. there's, um, there's i don't know what brand it is i just showed another one of my buddies but there's a mini that is because really know. nice because you can travel with it and everything because i know that i don't sleep well it's just called the air mini it's um it's um like google cpap air mini it's um resmed yeah resmed mm-hmm. air mini 
and be the one to get. Yeah, you need to check that out. It's it's actually been a concern. When I was younger, I had the whole adenoids cauterized and all that really? kind of stuff. See, I never had any of it done. Yeah. Rogan keeps telling me that I need to get my freaking... He told me, he's like, you need to get your ducks drilled out. He goes, dude, I did it. And see, I had my nose broke when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I think just, you know, I know I have a deviated septum. Okay. And then just with some of my natural allergies, um, it just, I have inflammation in there and I can barely freaking get yeah. air. So, yep. um, he told me, he's like, dude, if you get them done, he goes, it's like game changer. He, he's like, dude, it's like you won't even believe it and well, i keep, and rogan seems like he's always on the cutting edge of whatever new tech is out there for like body improvement yeah you know, well and health. yeah he's kind of like guinea guinea pig edge because like <laughs> you know some of the stuff he does where he's like man that can make me better i'm all in you know it's uh-huh. for as freaked out as he is about stuff like swimming in the ocean like it's nothing for him to go get a bunch of freaking dry needles stuck through his kneecap or whatever. Yeah, stem cell. Try, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. He's uh-huh. just, he's all full into it. But, yeah, if you said, hey, let's go, you know, <laughs> swim where there's a shark out there, he's, he's out. like, he's, he's like, out. no, I'm not. Yeah. That's stupid. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, I um, and, you know, like I said, it was cool today, too, coming over here today because I got to pick your brain on some arrow stuff. Um you taught me you actually you taught me quite a bit just on the fletching side oh yeah arrows that i didn't know so that i appreciate that yeah we can i mean when it comes to that stuff i i can just i can go so deep to where when i can tell people are like losing interest i just shut up yeah and a lot of it i don't think about until someone asks me something specific that kind of triggers a memory Uh of no that makes sense you know this or that yeah makes sense no i'll definitely be getting with you because i think i'm gonna actually have you guys i'm gonna buy some of your arrows yeah they're the they're the best man they're as good as you can get i mean seriously like you said you know every single every jig that we have for a custom build every one of them are an exact cookie cutter of each other um so if anyone orders you know veins no matter every one of them will be exactly the same yeah and one of the things that's cool is like when our arrows are made um so all of our arrows are actually made like they're not just rolled carbon you know they're not like flat layers that are rolled it's all pultruded and it's all pultruded from spools of raw carbon so you know the way it's all coming off spools and spun together so when they run knock on arrows um and we were actually at easton last week uh i think one batch of arrows i think like one one batch of the the same carbon fiber and the same resin would will make one arrow that's a mile long that's exactly the same and then that arrow gets cut so and then that batch is one of the batches that we'll load on our site so you have one piece of a mile yeah you know and then that one piece of a mile is then hand fletched like you saw every single one of them is hand fletched you know exactly on the same exact jig Mm -hmm. which then matches any jig that we custom set up that people you know if people want to 
buy a dozen arrows and then buy a jig if they do any refletch from home they're gonna match that jig will match exactly because all the dies um that we have for setting up jigs are based off the six main that we have here perfect that's yeah, cool. it's pretty cool. Well, and you know, like you said, I mean, with with the archery game, consistency is key in the equipment and your draw cycle, anchor points, your breathing, you know, string on the nose, all that kind of stuff. It's yep. all about consistency and repetition. So, no, I mean, I'm I'm sold, dude. Awesome. Yep. Well, let's boogie. I gotta yep. I gotta get the. This is Tack Tuesday today, so today will be another total archery challenge video. Um, will be launching so make sure you check that out on our youtube channel or on instagram but yeah we've got 12 consecutive weeks of total archery challenge videos for all of you out there so thanks everybody and uh if you're lucky enough to get one of these calls congratulations and shoot a turkey with it folks shoot one Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com